While you're turning in your Bibles to Mark chapter 14, one thing that I neglected to put into the uh, bulletin was uh, another announcement about the uh, Bible Bee. Uh, if you are planning to participate and need to be um, need some of the training uh, for that, uh, in terms of uh, helping uh, as um, I guess as a grader in that, uh, you can see um, the uh, the foxes, and uh, they can give you more information. Uh, Maribel is here this morning, so you can see her after the service. If you would turn to Mark chapter 14, our text this morning will begin... Uh, with verse 17. And when it was evening, Jesus came with the twelve, and as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and say to him, one after another, Is it I? And he said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it. And he gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But Peter said emphatically, If I must die with you, or if if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Let's pray. Almighty God, we come before you and we ask that you would bless both the reading and the preaching of your word. This morning, help us see the Lord Jesus. And we pray along with our children. Use us for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the most undervalued of all Christian graces is the grace of patience. It is very overlooked in the Christian life. And yet it's one of the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. Thankfully God never overlooks this grace of patience. For if he overlooks patience for one moment, I don't think any of us 
would be here. We would all be wiped off the earth in frustration, in his frustration of us. I was thinking about patience this week, and I was thinking about the fathers of our faith. I was thinking about Abraham. He lied twice. Or rather, he had his wife to lie twice for him. Remember his lie? The first one. Tell Pharaoh that you're my sister so that he won't kill me. Pharaoh took her into his home before God came to her rescue. And then again, when he had a dispute with Abimelech, and he was afraid that Abimelech was going to kill him so that Abimelech could take Sarah for his sister. He said to her again, uh, Say that you're only my sister and not my wife. How would that make you feel, ladies? Or think about Jacob. Jacob was a deceiver and a manipulator. And after his conversion... He continued to be fearful, and he continued to complain uh, when things would not go his way. Or Moses. We've been looking at Moses during on during the Wednesday night dinners as we've been moving uh, through the book of Exodus. And we saw how Moses argued with God. And he basically was saying to God, for an entire chapter, all of the end of chapter 3 on through chapter 4, God, send someone else to deliver your people. Or in the Eggert small group, the bread breakers, they've been looking at David uh, and they are in the, the passage where David began an adulterous relationship with Bathsheba. And then he went on to murder Bathsheba's husband. You see God's patience, even with the fathers of our faith. How many times has God been patient with you? Think of times over this past week where God was patient with you because... You, as Joe Bethany in his, in his prayer, eloquently stated, and I think truthfully, that we, like Peter, committed high treason against God. How many times this week have you committed high treason against God? Sinned willfully against Him. God, our God is a patient God. And when we begin to think of His patience with us, we are quickly reminded of the need for us to be patient with others. We're going to see here in our text Jesus' commitment to His disciples as He shares communion with Him. And it's not simply Him sharing a meal. He is sharing Himself. But then we're also going to see His patience with His disciples. And so let's uh, begin looking at the text. I want to skip down to the uh, verse 22, even though we started reading with verse 17. We're going to look back at verses 17 through 21 uh, in a few moments. But I want to look at the Passover meal. 
It says, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, and again, verse 22, he broke it, gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. He took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. We, it's tempting to take this passage for granted because we hear it at least monthly with the Passover or, or with the communion meal and we'll hear it next week, Lord willing. So I want to walk us through this in preparation for our communion uh, with our Lord Jesus next week. Uh, first of all, we learn in Luke chapter 22, in Luke's account of the Passover, that Jesus was very much looking forward to this communion meal. It says in the scriptures, Jesus said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. What happens in the Passover is that the head of the house conducts the Passover uh, ceremony. And Jesus, being the head of the twelve disciples, um, was the one who conducted the Passover. And there's a very formal procedure that goes along with the observance of the Passover meal. Uh, One of the things that you may not know about the Passover meal is they would drink not just one cup of wine, but several as they moved through the meal. In fact, the first cup would be served before the Passover meal, before the food was actually served. They would have have a cup of wine. And after that cup of wine, then the meal would begin to be served. And the meal consisted of unleavened bread and also bitter herbs and stewed, uh, few, uh, stewed fruit, uh, greens, and a roast lamb. And as the meal is being served, the youngest in the room, uh, if you had children, it would typically be the, uh, the youngest child. But the youngest in the room would ask this question. They would ask, why do we eat these foods on this night? And this would be the cue for the head of the house to explain then the uh, story of God's grace and his mighty strength in bringing the people out of, out of Egypt during the Exodus. And so as the, the host or the head of, of the, the house would, would go through and recount God's grace, after he finished that, then they would pause and they would sing hymns of praise to God. They would actually sing psalms. Psalm 113, 114, and 115. If you look at those psalms, you'll notice that it starts off with praise the Lord, ends with praise the Lord. Each of these, these psalms. And after they would sing these psalms, then a second cup of wine would be passed. And this would be just before everyone was allowed to eat the meal that had been uh, placed before them. And what would happen is as the, the cup is passed, then the head of the house would lift up the plate with the unleavened bread and he would say this bread of affliction this is the bread of affliction which our father ate in the land of Egypt let everyone who hungers come and eat let everyone who is needy come and eat the Passover meal and then he would pray Jesus made a significant change at this point Instead of saying, this is the bread of affliction of our Father, 
or the bread of affliction which our fathers ate in the land of Egypt. Jesus changed the wording. He said, this is my body we have in Mark's account. Or if we take Luke's account, uh, which Jesus extends it out, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And what Jesus is saying here, when he holds up the unleavened bread, Jesus is saying, I and the unleavened bread. I and the Passover bread. And then the Passover meal was eaten after that. After the the meal is eaten, then a third cup of wine is passed. And uh, as this this was passed again, the Lord Jesus changed the ceremony. He changed the wording. It was this third cup. Uh, that we find him addressing in verse 24 when he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. That is a stunning commentary on this cup. He is saying, in effect, that the blood shed in the Passover meal by the lamb that was slaughtered in order that they might eat it, that this blood was symbolic of Jesus' blood, that the real blood of the covenants was his blood that was shed for many. That's one of my favorite phrases in all the scriptures. His blood was shed for many. And then he instructed his disciples to drink from this third cup because he wanted them to give expression to their communion with him. This is my blood, he said. And of course he's speaking symbolically because his real physical blood was still in his body. He was alive when he uh, gave the communion. He was alive still when he shared the Passover meal with him. This was not literally his blood. He did not drain, cut his vein and drip a little blood into the cup. It was symbolic of his blood. But he's instructing them that this cup is his blood, symbolically speaking, as an, to, for them to um, express, or, or rather for him to express all that he is going to do for them in his death on the cross. That his blood was indeed going to be poured out. That his blood indeed was going to provide propitiation for their sins. That his blood was going to provide forgiveness for their sins. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And Jesus is telling them that he was going to shed his blood in their behalf. And then after they shared that cup, they sang three more hymns, three more psalms, Psalm 116, Psalm 117, and Psalm 118. And then traditionally, a fourth cup was to be served. But Jesus changed the ceremony. Look at verse 25. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And what Jesus is doing is he is resisting this last cup. He says, I am not going to drink of this fourth and final cup. 
and the meal remained unfinished. In fact, what they did was they concluded the meal, they sang a hymn, and they went out. And what Jesus is doing, the reason why he is uh, resisting this last cup is he is saying to his disciples and through them also to us that he is waiting to finish that meal with us in paradise. In fact, every communion meal that we share together in one sense is is an unfinished meal because Jesus is longing for our unbroken fellowship with him in heaven. That's why we are to continue to observe the Passover meal as a remembrance that he is coming back for his own. Jesus is showing in the most intimate, the most wonderful way how committed he is to his disciples. And in showing his disciples his commitment, he is showing us his commitment to us as well. Meanwhile, what are the disciples doing? Well, Judas, as we know from last, uh, from two weeks ago, Judas has already betrayed Jesus. He has already taken money um, for Jesus' betrayal. And so we find in verse 17 through 21, Jesus, when it was evening, he came with the twelve, and as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And what's happening here, there's this weird cryptic language as you, as he's talking about uh, one of the twelve, the one who's dipping the bread into the dish with me. The Son of Man goes as it is written to him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for him not to have been born. I was wondering, what does this mean? And the commentators convinced me uh, that this is actually very affectionate language on Jesus' part. That he is actually here pleading with Judas to repent. He's not pleading with with Judas uh, to spare his life. But he is pleading with with Judas to repent of his sin. In fact, in the seating arrangement, Jesus is reclining at the table, and as he's reclining, his elbow is is down so that he is leaning down almost to his side. And you know where his head is? His head is in Judas's chest. He is reclining against Judas. Jesus has given Judas the place of honor at the table place of intimate affection. And so this conversation is going between Jesus and Judas, between Jesus and the disciples, as Jesus' head is resting on Judas' chest. And Jesus is warning Judas of the terrible consequences of his sin. Now we see here in verse 25, the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. Jesus is sovereign. God is sovereign. God's plan is being worked out here. But at the very same time, Judas is personally responsible. He is 100% responsible uh, for his sin. Now before you go and you judge Judas, 
When was the last time you plunged into willful sin? When was the last time that you raised your hand in rebellion against God and did what you knew was displeasing to Him? When you did it, you were just like Judas. Judas knew what he was doing and he chose to do it. He disregarded Christ. He hardened his heart. He willfully closed his eyes to, to Christ and to, his, and to the consequences that awaited him. Hebrews 6 says that when we willfully sin against Christ, we trample him underfoot. When we willfully sin against Christ, we willfully trample underneath our feet the Lord Jesus Christ. Judas hardened his heart in order that he might commit his sin. He would not repent. Jesus is urging him to do so, but he's not begging for his life. And Judas would not. And eventually his would not became he could not. In fact, it says in, in uh, John thirteen twenty seven that after uh, Judas had taken the morsel, uh, when he had dipped his hand into the dish with Jesus, it said that Satan entered into him. And Jesus, knowing that Judas was unable at this point to repent, said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. And so one of the twelve has portrayed Jesus even though Jesus is committing himself to his disciples. What are the other eleven doing? Look down in verses 26 through 28. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered, and after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But Peter said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And the other ten disciples all said the same. That is striking that Jesus is telling them that they will all fall away. See, Jesus could look into their souls And because he could look into their souls and know what was ruling their heart, he could see their future. Young people, children, if your parents know you, they know what makes you tick. And it is uncanny that a parent can see into your future, can know the choices you're going to make based on their intimate knowledge of your hearts. And the same is true of God. Jesus knew their hearts and knew that they were all going to fall away. And he not only knew their hearts, he also knew the scriptures. In fact, it says, uh, Jesus says, um, As it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. See, Jesus 
knew the scriptures. He also knew their weakness. He knew the pressure they were going to be under when he was arrested. He knew their fear. And they knew, that, and he knew when push came to shove, when he was arrested, that they would all uh, desert him in his greatest hour of need. Now notice here, who's doing the striking in verse 27? It says, I will strike the shepherd. That I refers to God. Jesus was the sacrifice for the disciples' sin. They were the sheep. Jesus was the shepherd. God the Father was going to be the one who struck the shepherd. God was completely in control of that dangerous and that awful time there in the garden. Yes, Herod plotted along with Pontius Pilate, along with the chief priest and the elders of the people, but God was in control. He was the one who who struck the shepherd. And he knew that they would all flee away. The ironic thing is because God is in control of this situation, the disciples ultimately had nothing to fear. How many times have we been in uh, fearful circumstances and we chose to act on our fear rather than faith? Our God encircles our life. He encircles every circumstance of our life. There's never a time when you are outside of His sovereign control. You can trust Him regardless of what circumstances you find yourself in. This is what gives the meat to the promise that God will work all things together for our good. He is in control. We have a big God. And in light of our big God, our problems, our fears, our circumstances are very small indeed. They fit nicely into the palm of His hand. And everything that God does for us is good. And notice the disciples. Notice Peter being the ringleader. Instead of trusting Jesus, they accuse Him of lying. They accuse Him of being wrong. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, or they said, No, you're wrong, Jesus. We are not going to fall away. Jesus tells Peter, You're going to follow, you're, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows twice. But he said emphatically, Just feed in. No, Jesus, you are wrong. I am willing to die before I deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing. How many times do we do this to our Lord? How many times do we take our stand in our own self-righteousness or in our own strength? Can we raise our hand of pride against our Savior who loves us? I want to draw to a conclusion. conclusion. And the conclusion is, Jesus willingly died for a people who would love Him very imperfectly. We will fail God. We fail God 
um, repeatedly, we fail God often. We raise our hands, we raise our will in high treason to our God. Aren't you thankful that our God is a patient God? Aren't you thankful that our Savior died for an an imperfect people? That He died for an ungodly people? Romans chapter 5. Our salvation is by grace. But when I talk about God's patience... I don't want you to have the picture in your mind of God with His hand up ready to strike, but His patience is holding His hand back. That's not God's attitude at all. Jesus died for sinners. And if He paid for your sin, your sin is paid for. Jesus died for your sin He has also given you His righteousness His hand is not upheld His hand is not being held back unwillingly by His patience Oh, He loves us He loves us dearly His hand is not upheld in anger. His hand is outstretched in love. This is my body, Jesus said, which is broken for you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, what does that mean for us? We're still sinners. We are going to sin against God to our great shame. And we are also going to sin against each other. In fact, if we are willing to raise the high hand of treason to our Savior, we should expect that sinners are also going to raise their hands against one another, even in the body of Christ. Look at the patience of our Lord Jesus as he deals with his disciples when you're tempted to grow angry or frustrated or pridefully self-righteous against a brother or sister in Christ. One person said that um, that uh, sinners play in mud and we will splash the mud on each other. Don't simply remember Jesus and his patience. Remember Jesus and his self-giving sacrifice in our behalf. He gave his body. He poured out his blood. Remember that when forgiveness or patience is required of you. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, We thank you for your great love for us that caused you to give yourself to that awful cross. We thank you that you embraced it. And it was for the joy set before you that you embraced it, that you endured 
um, the cross and endured the shame of it that you became sin in our place in order that we might be the righteousness of God Father I pray that you would help us to be patient not only with each other in the body of Christ but also with those outside the body of Christ and help us to portray the Lord Jesus and proclaim Him to each other and to the the community that so desperately needs Him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.